Gang, for over a year now, I've been talking about True Hemp Science Full Spectrum CBD oils and how they've reduced my anxiety and helped me get better sleep without waking up feeling foggy and confused. I've also talked about the Full Spectrum CBD bombs that relieved my hand pain last year and made playing piano and guitar much easier. Well, gang, today I'm going to tell you about True Hemp Science organic gummies made with full spectrum hemp oil that are available now. They come in two different gauges. There are five, uh, 50 milligram ones that have 50 milligrams of CBD and 1.5 milligrams of THC. Then there are ones that are 100 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of THC. Absolutely delicious uh, lemon lime slash orange flavors and also watermelon black cherry flavors. Super, super delicious. Now, now, they also have a complete line of full-spectrum CBD products, including oils, tinctures, skincare lotions, sports rubs, chocolates, gummies, all kinds of stuff. Well, gang, How Did I Get Here has teamed up with True Hemp Science to bring you a very special offer that benefits all of us. Spend $100 or more at TrueHempScience.com and you will get a free gift. Just enter the code HDIGH at checkout. There's a little code place there for you to enter it. H-D-I-G-H and you will get a free gift with purchase. That's right. Go to TrueHempscience.com and balance your body and mind with True Hemp Science. Let's get down. Hey gang, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of How Did I Get Here? I know you have a lot of choices out there and the fact that you're listening to this episode right now is not lost on me. So thank you. I'm not sure what platform you're listening on, but whatever platform you're on, give us a follow. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating. It takes just a second and it means the world to me. Plus, it really helps the show. So thank you in advance. And remember, the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here are available on all streaming services. Now, enjoy the show. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have all had a good week, whatever it is you did this week. It's the second week of the year, man. People keeping busy, doing stuff, man. You feel like you're losing that weight. You're getting that exercise in, still not smoking. Hopefully, you're sticking sticking to your uh, resolution. And if not, go easy on yourself, man. It's hard to just all of a sudden change your life completely. You know what I mean? Um, Gang, I've had a really good week. It was a busy week of rehearsals because I'm in a new band called Happy Land with some dear friends of mine that are like family to me. That's Kimmy Rhodes, Gabriel Rhodes, Louie Rhodes, uh, Harmony Kelly, Sean Pander, and John Chipman. Now, uh, we've been rehearsing very diligently this week, working on all these harmony vocals and all this stuff, because we are starting a residency at Saxon Pub on Mondays. That's Saxon Pub here in Austin. We'll be playing Monday nights at Saxon Pub at 6 p.m. before the great Bob Schneider. Early show for the people, happy hour show. Come on in. Have a drink with us. Starts January 22nd. All right. So that's Happy Land. You can check it out. I posted a, a, a video of us singing together. It's beautiful. It's so much fun. It's like a family being together and playing. It's a bunch of people that hang out at dinner parties together and always talk about starting a band. And we decided to finally do it. Put our money where our mouth is. And now you can see Happy Land Mondays at Saxon Pub at 6 p.m. starting January 22nd. So uh, put that in your pipe. 
or in your Rolodex or in your calendar and uh, and make sure that you are in your Rolodex. <laughs> yeah, put that in your calendar. Make sure that you remember that the show's coming on. Um, all right. So, uh, gang, I have a great show for you guys today. I have a fantastic show for you guys today. I don't know if you guys have heard about or seen these guys. They've been on Fox 7 News in Austin. They've made the rounds on a couple of the podcasts. You might have heard these guys talking about Bloody and Bruised, which is a new documentary. It's Bloody and Bruised, the untold story of The Back Room. Now, if you don't know, if you're new to Austin, The Back Room was a pretty important fucking club here in town from 1973 to 2006. It had its biggest heyday kind of in the in the mid to late 80s to early 90s with uh with with metal like what people call hair metal and uh and just like the hard rock scene sort of like what was happening in the sunset strip and all that stuff and uh they went into grunge like pearl jam played their show there when they were very first on tour Soundgarden played their show there when they were very first on tour pantera played there megadeth played there all these great people played there but anyway there's a documentary that has been made and now they're just trying to raise the money to put it out now, the documentary, as I said, is called Bloody and Bruised, The Untold Story of the Back Room. And today I have guest Jay Boudreaux Partida, who's the director and, uh, and one of the producers and one of the writers. Fantastic dude. I didn't really know him until we did the show. I might have run into him over the years. I think that's what he said. And then my dear old friend, Ray Segrin, who is the executive producer of, uh, of the movie Bloody and Bruised. But he was also the talent buyer of The Back Room from 1989 to 1993. Now, this uh, documentary is fucking great. I haven't seen the full-length version. I got a 40-minute screener that I got to watch, and I watched it like three times. I loved it. It focuses, the 40-minute screener that I saw focuses on Dangerous Toys, who's a band that came together at the back room. This tells a whole story of the back room. From the very beginning of the back room, over there on Riverside, they were there with the Thundercloud and the liquor store, if you know where that is, before it moved back where Emo's is now. So uh, I went to the to the back room quite a few times. I started going there in the mid-80s when my friend Wayne Nagel started booking the place. My friend Will Sexton was playing there. I was a teenager. I was about 16. I was probably not supposed to be in there, but I got to go in there. <laughs> I got to go to a lot of places with those guys. Uh, I'm very grateful about that. But um, later on in the about 93 or so when I was in Mr. Rocket Baby, I know we played a couple of shows there. Uh, they were a good time. I know we played one with Joe Rocket, and I think the other one was with the great band Pariah. So uh, this movie's fantastic. It looks beautiful. It sounds great. And... Uh, and they do these dramatic reenactments. So I'm, I'm sometimes a little bit nervous about the dramatic reenactments, you know, because they can, they can go south pretty fast. But these are fucking great. And the movie looks great. As I said, it's beautifully lit. It's beautifully shot. There are great interviews with the guys from, uh, from Dangerous Toys, from Pariah, uh, people that worked there, people that played there, people that were at shows there, uh, telling all of the ups and downs of the thing. And, of course, if you are a huge fan of Austin music and you've been around for a long time and you remember Nathan Olivares who we just lost about a month ago uh, sadly and, and such a tragic loss to this scene he's in it and he's got so many great quotes he makes me laugh out loud so, uh, so as I said the documentary is finished there's a trailer which I'll post in the text of this podcast. You can go see that. There's the 40-minute screener that I watched, but the movie is actually finished, and it's it. The movie is actually an hour and 44 minutes long, is what they told me. So, 
The reason why they're having a hard time getting it out is because it costs a lot of money to get clearance to use the actual music from like Dangerous Toys, from Pariah, from all these bands that had big record deals at the time. And uh, and that music is owned by like Sony or something like that. It's difficult to get that music without paying a whole lot of money. So they are trying to raise the funds to do that. And they're actually having a benefit for Bloody and Bruised, the untold story of the back room, this fantastic documentary I've been talking about. Uh, Penny Rock Productions presents Riddling Kids with Dylan Disaster and the Revelry. And that takes place Saturday, January 20th at the Mohawk. And uh, and the funds, he's going to pay the bands because we actually talk about that, but the funds are going to raise money for Bloody and Bruised, the untold story of the back room, which is an amazing movie. I want it to come out. There's so many great documentaries out there. There's so many, like the story of this Austin music scene is being told. You've heard over, over the last like month and a half or so, I had the guys from uh, A Curious Mix of People, Greg Beats and, and Richard Weimark on talking about the punk and indie scene going on like on Red River and stuff like that in, in the in the uh, in the early 90s. Um, I just posted that interview that I did a while back with Eddie Wilson and Jesse Sublet about the Armadillo World Headquarters and sort of its role in the Austin music scene and what it had to do with everything. There's the Saxon Pub documentary. There's the... Uh, the, the Broken Spoke documentary that my friend Brenda Mitchell made. I had them on to talk about it. There's all these great documentaries and these stories are being told and they need to get out there and need to be told. And this movie, it's I, I feel like it's so well done that even if you weren't there and you weren't a part of the scene, it's an exciting story. It's always an exciting story to see, like for me, like a music scene and something that meant something to people and drove people, you know, out of town to go and become huge artists just like uh, just like Dangerous Toys and all the others that I talked about before did. Okay, so this is a great documentary. Tons of great people that are in it. Uh, it's beautifully shot. Looks great. Sounds great. And uh, please enjoy my conversation with Jay Boudreau Partida, the director of Bloody and Bruised, and my dear old friend Ray Segern, the executive producer. All right, let's get down. All right, to start this thing off, <laughs> I do have to say this one thing, uh, just to let people know, I haven't seen the whole thing. I saw the 40 minute, uh, I guess. Uh, kind of just a screener. Screener, Yeah. there you go. That's mm-hmm. the right word to use, thank you. I need pros to tell me that stuff. Um, and I fucking loved it. Thank I really you. do, I was very, I get very nervous uh, when there's dramatic reenactments. I have to, like I'm just like it is it's shot beautifully it's lit beautifully everybody even Looney looks great <laughs> like is that like is that the line of demarcation because people look well hey Matt Looney's no, in the film was, he looks good it was so, so great to see his see his face I was like I was just uh, there was a lot of people I was really excited to see on there guys yeah. I haven't seen in a long time that's all this guy Boudreaux Partita right here man I yeah. mean uh, thank you, uh, you yeah. Know, uh, it was you say no i mean if if we can make matt looney look great then i'm hoping everybody else looks good too so you know uh no thank you very much it's been it's it's been a a long journey getting here you know it's been uh you know we started pre-production on this almost four years ago and now we actually have a final film in front of us and so it's really uh it's really awesome to finally have gotten through this entire huge trek of telling this story right. that, you know, is, is very, uh, you know, it's a lot of people want to see this film yeah. and it's, it's been very 
it's been a, a long, tough journey, uh, hours and time, the amount of time and just dedication and passion and sweat that our entire team and myself have put into this. And so it's really, it's really satisfying to say, hey, we have a film. Yeah, and I would just add to your original point, Johnny, that I joined the production team about a year after it started, which is a fun story in and of itself, but I, I had seen snippets of it. It was very clear early on to me that there was a specific director's vision in play here because uh, what I saw of it, even before I said yes to join the production team, it all looked good, and that was a big part of why I was very confident that when it was all finally stitched together, also an interesting story, <laughs> yeah. uh, that it was going to look as good as you're saying it did. So thanks for that. Well, let me ask you this. As uh, producers all, there's there's a different, like producers all, it's, it's a lot of different jobs, and a lot of producers have specialties in certain areas. Mm. What's your... What's what? Why you did you join the production team? <laughs> I, I'm just in this. In the, what's your role in this film as a producer? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, as the executive producer, as the executive, as the producer. executive producer, it's money I, guy, right? You know what? What we just what we landed on in the beginning. That's part of it for sure. Yeah, uh, I had uh, had a producer's role either as a producer producer or an associate producer on two other feature length uh, films. Yes. Uh, one in Oklahoma of some renown in lo- Oklahoma anyway, and then uh, and then one here in Austin, uh, which is also a great film. So I, fathers, I, I, those are called the fathers of football and uh, the rock and roll dreams of Duncan Christopher. Uh, Mister Holbrook here, yeah, yeah that's okay, awesome. that's right, that's exactly right. Yeah, rock and roll dreams of Duncan Christopher was the Oklahoma yeah. film, and and uh, uh, fathers of football, uh, directed by Bradley Beasley, an Oklahoman. Uh, uh, was the one here, more recent one, yeah. So as we talked about it, um, uh, uh, certainly helping to um, raise funds as part of it, uh, strategizing and sort of orchestrating the different parts that we need to do to bring the film into existence. So I know that's a little bit ambiguous, but we strategize on fundraising is certainly a big part of it. Negotiating music supervision is a big thing between me and Boudreaux and our music supervisor right now. It's a huge part of this. Right. Um, the, 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 what else? What let, else let do me I ask do? you I real quick. Uh, sure the, the sporting I do, a Woody, did you have to go to the person that, that Jason McMaster dissed when he first met her to get permission <laughs> well, well, to use on. that song as so a publisher? For starters, before I, I'm going to let Boudreaux answer that, how you will, but for, for, for starters, it's not past tense. It's very much present tense. Yeah. We're in the middle, uh, yeah. of, still in the middle of, of on the daily. We don't have the final music report yet, either for the festival run nor for the the proper you know lifespan of the film. Right, we're still very early in that part of it. Yeah. Sure, mm-hmm. I, that, I know that that's a that that that's that's where it, that's that's a very expensive and I know that that movie the the Wrecking Crew, like mm-hmm. it was finished, mm-hmm. but they couldn't put it out without the music in it because right. it wouldn't make any sense. Right, but it took years to negotiate. Well, you'd be the music su- and yeah, that you'd thing. be surprised the number of Van Halen documentaries on Netflix that oh, have no, I, no Van totally Halen music. In yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Okay, so. that, that's why I turn them off. Yeah. <laughs> I do as soon as I hear like some ambiguous sort of Eddie thing. I'm like, nap. If you're not so, playing one of the big ones, I mean, we can, can we kind of peek behind the curtain? I mean, so right now it's like. See, so we just make sure he's like, yeah. So, so right now, where we're at at this stage of the film, like yeah. I said, we're hearing back you know some initial snippets, but we're waiting for the pro. We've we've paid our 
music supervisor who who has the contacts to go out and call the Chris Cornell estate, to call right. Pantera's people, to right. call Motorhead's people. And right. we're, we're getting some early shockwaves. We've got one no so far. I don't want to say which one it is, yet, but we've got one right. no from a big, you know, 90s era heavy hitter, right? Yeah. But, but all the rest are still in play. We just have to figure out how much it's Yeah, and, and it's, just, it's just a process. I mean, any other film any other music documentary, most of the time it's a single artist and they have to just go to that, you know, entire discography or catalog or whatever, as opposed to us, our music supervisor is going to multiple record labels and going to multiple publishers. And so, yeah, it's going to take a little time, but our music supervisor, George out of, uh, out of New York, he, he is doing an amazing job, him and his caseworker, Max, they are helping us out to, you know, little by little, knocking out all of these music tracks that we right. need for the film. So, it, and obviously it just, it just takes some time. And so, yeah, we're in the whole, we're in the not so fun part of yeah. making a movie yeah. that people don't really realize. And it's the part of show business that no one even wants not, to talk about. It's not glamorous. <laughs> nobody really loves it. And then, yeah. but you got to do it. And it's part yeah. of making a movie, you know, I got to tell you, sure. uh, before we go too far, I got to remember about this. Did, was Nathan, uh, able to see that screener before he passed? No, unfortunately. Oh. It was he was really excited about it. Nathan was one of the very first people that contacted me about he's like, I need to be in this movie, man. <laughs> and yes. so uh he's like, Oh, I got stories, you know. So and and he was by far one of the uh most magical interviews that that we conducted and hilarious fell in love with him instantly and uh you know the pieces that he did see i would send him clips here and there but uh unfortunately no he didn't see the entire thing but he did you know he was excited he was a big champion of it you know yeah Yeah, for sure so nathan olivar is obviously dancer obviously public access tv yeah um man just a lion of a guy right and and so when we did our first investor pitch event, we knew that we were going to have this many seats to fill and we had invites out to invest. We got, we got some money. We got some, we got investors that night. So that was good. Part of it was good. And we were going to fill the empty seats with people in the film or who worked on the film. Okay. And he was on the list of people who would have been there next to Chris Gates oh, and right, next to Tommy right. Mac and yeah. next to the other, you know, performers yeah. uh, there. And uh, obviously he and Dave Pruitt both were, um, uh, we wanted to be there and Nathan passed away a few days before that and Dave wasn't ready to be in public. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Well, I got to say, it, like that was one of the great surprises, you know, it, like, you know, still feeling the sadness and putting on that him? movie and to see him and fucking laugh out loud. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I always have. And For him sure. just being 100% Nathan. Oh, yeah. He, he was, yeah. he, he, when we shot his interview, he just kind of took it over and he was, he was just. <laughs> That's Nathan. Yeah. And, and he, and he kind of just exuded this presence over the entire and he was saying he was just dropping gold yeah. here and there here and there and i know you've only seen a 40 minute screener right right but he's throughout the entire Good. film and Good. every <laughs> single line he drops is gold yeah and, and and i knew at the very end of his interview i was like oh that's going in the trailer oh that's going in here that's yeah, yeah. going here so yeah there's no doubt that you know it, it would have been great for nathan to have seen it i would have loved it um you know he was a big champ like i said he was a big champion of the film and he was always really supportive of us you know yeah i would just add that 
when I first saw the the first director's cut, which was long, um, one of the things that I was looking at was okay, how much, how many different stories are we telling here? And, and obviously, we knew that Nathan would be covered for Dancer because he was part of that era of the backroom scene. That was my era, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we knew that he would be part of. Or excuse me. Let me let me rephrase that. I assumed he, that would be part of the story. Sure. And I assumed that the Dave and Nathan part of Access TV. What I was unprepared for was how credible and awesome he was at commenting on so much stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the toys quote is what the one that stuck with me. Right. I think was you it, probably saw yes. that. What this? Spot in the wood. Hey, let's party. Yeah. He does yeah. that. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah. Just, just the degree. Everybody to, was getting laid. So I wasn't sure how much it, you did it, not me. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the director could go there. I, I wasn't going to drop. I wasn't going to do any spoilers. <laughs> I was. I came in with a no spoiler environment, Johnny. Well, none of us. But Boudreaux, none of, Boudreaux it's Boudreaux worth seeing, even if you hear it from us first. It's it's nowhere near as magical as that. Matt yeah. has his face like yeah. lighting up. And so, you know, and Boudreaux can double down on how, what the exact number was, 75, 85 interviews, whatever it was. But, you know, when you interview that many people and you, it, it, to me, it was surprising how much Nathan was in there commenting, but it was all such good stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I say past tense only as was in there because the film's gone through different lengths. Sure. And so, yeah. yeah. What is the actual length that it's at now? Oh, great question. <laughs> now the actual final film duration is an hour and 44 minutes. That's good. Um, yeah. Which, Solid. which, which is, you know, it, it, believe me, it was difficult to get 33 years of history into 100%. any kind of film. Even, but. Even in the forty-minute one, like it does, it covers the story. And and I'll tell you, one of the one of the big revelations for me in that movie was I didn't know you were the booking guy there from eighty-nine to ninety-three. Yes. Yeah, so I my band zero. So I first stumbled into the back room in eighty-seven to see a thrash metal show with Exodus because that was my musical style. Sure. My band played that. This is still four years before Kanak. Okay. Four. So eighty-seven. Okay. And so my band started playing there. And then when college radio came on, as dot, you know, there's a lot of talk with you know, curious mix out now about that era of college sure. radio in the beginning. You're in that book as student well. Student rate, thank you. Yes, because you were student part of the KNAC was a big part of that whole thing. They don't, re- yeah. So KNAC is a part of it, and then also KTSB and KVRX. Correct. So that's where I was as one of the original DJs on on KTSB, which All became right. KVRX. Right. And that's when I approached Jim Ramsey and said, "Man, you got a James Addiction show coming to town. If you're not hanging flyers down around campus, you're like missing the boat, dude." And so he said, "Well, good. How much? How much?" going to pay you to do that so uh that's how jim ramsey and i started our um first semi-professional arrange uh uh, working arrangement but then he became my mentor and ultimately one of my best friends awesome so that's how that's how i got into booking of the back room yeah was as ramsey's sidekick he mentored me and brought me along okay Mm -hmm. so my uh my introduction to the back room was in 85 my mom was friends with wayne nagel Mm. And Wayne not only booked it, but also uh, managed Will Sexton, Sexton Will yeah. and the Kill. And so he and I became really good friends, and I would go there and see him play. Mm-hmm. That was like sort of my introduction to the back room. Was, was the Wayne Nagel part in the 40 minutes? They're just reference to him. I, I was like, he, there's no way he's not. All right, this is what I was doing. You know, like, <laughs> no, no, I don't think he was in that forty minute. And, and no, you know, no, there's, not, there's mention of him. There's pictures of him, yeah. and and you know, there's a little bit of video. And he's of course part. Of, I think he's a part of the uh, Pariah story as well. Very much. And then so yeah. he's he's mentioned in there as well. So obviously, I mean, we shot nearly seventy interviews, and 
there's no way we could get every single person that we wanted in the film. And, you know, but we try to drop as many cast of characters that were vital to the story as possible, even if it's at least just a mention, photo, voiceover, whatever, you know. Sure. So it, it's all part of the challenge of stuffing 33 years of history into, into the two hours. It's hard, man. Yeah. It's really hard. But I, I really honestly, in the 40 minute thing, I cannot tell you, like I watch a lot of fucking documentaries about shit because I love scene stories. Like, you know that, you know that, uh, like I can't stand uh, Twisted Sister, <laughs> but that's one of my favorite documentaries of all time because it's just, mm. it's awesome. Like you're engrossed in that uh-huh. thing. I actually even went last night, I came home from my gig at the Saxon Pub and I found this other one because now that I've watched that one, I watch other ones on YouTube, it's suggesting ones. There was like some random one about a club. Oh God, I can't remember what it's called. But uh, it was about some club in South Dakota and like the scene in that, like the same kind of like the Saxon Pub and the Mm -hmm. the Broken Spoke ones. Um, But like it it, it didn't have, like... I cannot tell you how great y'all's looks. Oh, thank like, you. Like, it fucking looks so good. Thank you. And sounds great. The writing for the, uh, for the narration, it, it's awesome. Well, that's, I mean, thank you. There's a big, you know, there's a, uh, it isn't just myself and it isn't just Ray. You know, the, sure. we have a core team, our producer, Johnji, who's been with me since day one. Uh, then we also brought our co-producer, Adam Salinas, who helped us out with shooting uh, venues and locations for the interviews. Uh-huh. And then Tammy Moore, who is also a booker and, and, a, and a manager there at the back room. She's actually also a writer. And so she was kind of like helped us out with writing a lot of those scenes and the narrations and along with, uh, with Ray. Yeah. You know, Tammy being on the project, uh, aside from the initial vibe I got from Boudreaux and, and those other two guys, Tammy being on there was a thing for me that let me know that, they put some thought into the story that was going to be told because she was originally, you know, her she managed her brother's band when I was DJing at the club and working with Ramsey. And then she became not just a booking agent, but the, one of the general managers, mm-hmm. which is is all covered in the film as Part well. Part of the story as well. But, yeah. uh, you know, Tammy and my best friend Corey Mitchell were also uh, involved on the, the house core thing that they did with Phil Anselmo from Pantera a couple of years. Uh-huh. So it was a heavy metal music and film thing. So I knew Tammy really well. So the fact that uh, uh, she the know. blonde lady that's sitting in like a throne. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's yeah, Tammy. that's her. Yeah. That's yeah. Tammy Moore. Yeah, queen of the scene, right there. Yeah. yeah, and so she actually did a lot of. Uh, you know, I we brought her on very early on because I knew we needed somebody from the inside. I knew we needed somebody that could fill in the gaps and tell us. And she had written a piece for the Chronicle about the history of the club. So I knew we needed somebody from the inside that could help fill in the gaps, tell us a little bit more about what's missing, what, you know, the historical pieces. And then when Ray came on shortly after that, you know, that kind of just solidified the entire glue as far as the storytelling part. So we just picked like certain events and certain, um, you know, uh, points in the backroom's history that we were going to highlight because again you know evidently i mean sure there's going to be people out there that say well you didn't cover my band well you didn't cover this event you know and i'm like dude uh, okay chepo got off facebook for like (laughs) four days because of that with the book oh really yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i mean it's we're gonna we're gonna cover as many people as we can you know so I'll say this. I uh, um, I was impressed when I finally saw 
the original cut, which was much longer than an hour and 44. Let Boo yeah, talk the initial, once, but, uh, initial um, when, cut. When I saw that, um, I learned things about the history of the back room that I had no idea about. So I was aware of how the the Wayne Nagel and Bobby McNeely era became Ramsey and Marco Lavares. That's the era that I parachuted into. Okay, yeah. I was unaware of everything before that, which goes goes back several years before all that. And uh, down the hill where the Thundercloud subs is. That's and, my liquor store. That's my Thundercloud. And, okay, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. And so, um, and uh, the Cosmic Cowboy origins of the back room. Right. Um, was, uh, was something that, I didn't know about. There are pictures of like Jerry Jeff. Those are from there. Yeah, that's okay. from the original back room. That that down where the the Thundercloud subs and I wrote down those guys. Stores. Oh, Dan and Dave. Dan and Dave. <laughs> they still doing their thing, man. I want to no. get insulted at a show. <laughs> no, unfortunately. So Dan and Dave. Actually, we were talking about this on the way over here. Dan Dan Burke, who is a part of that. Actually, he passed away oh. the day that we released the trailer Shit. for this film. Yeah, it was crazy. Actually. The day that we were going to debut the trailer, his family contacted me and said, "Hey, he passed away this morning. He was really excited about this film, and and unfortunately, he's he, you know it, it's that's a part of life, you know, and that's what's going to happen. Um, but you know, we had a a, a huge goldmine of Dan and Dave footage that was shot in in the I believe the late seventies. Yeah, that was cool to see that. And then so that was the original back room, which yeah. is down where uh, the Thundercloud Subs and Riverside Liquor Store is or was or is now. Yeah. Now Emos is where back room was. Correct. Right? Ish like the building so, whatever. Yes. So yeah. So the famous pole in the back room still exists in Emos. The footprint of Emos is actually bigger than. Um, the original back the room. The entirety yeah. of the back room, but most, if not all, of the original back room lies in Emo's footprints. I think I got that right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I, I only played there twice, but I remember that poll. Like when they talk about in the thing, I'm like, yeah, dude, that's like the one thing is like a front person. You're like, really? There's a poll in the middle yeah. of the place. Yeah. Yeah. It and was, it's not even in the middle. It's just like a little askew, too. It's like you're yeah. like kind of like looking away. To it, was, it was a tool that lots of, you know, front men and front women used as right, to, right. like part of the show, you know, as part of the stage, you know. So uh, we had, we actually have a whole segment in the film people talking about just the poll. Yeah, know? it's in the, the trailer. There's a there's mm-hmm. a thing in the trailer about mm-hmm. it. That's what made me think and about it. We could go on and on about the poll for 30 sure. minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't yeah. want to go on the poll for 30 <laughs> minutes. But, uh, I did only play there twice. I played there with Joe Rocket. I had to look around and be like, did I know I played there with Mr. Rocket Baby. And we did that. Uh, Joe Rocket had us open. And I can't remember who the second band was, but I think it was Pariah. Ooh. So I will tell you the first time that Joe Rockhead played there, we booked them to open four dangerous toys. Okay. And so, and then Rockhead continued to play after that. And they continued to play after I parted ways with the back room, which would have been about the time that, that you time, and yeah. I met yeah. probably in steamboat because Danny gave Danny Crooks gave me a little bit of a safe haven to do some shows there. Once I got right. from, uh, from back room. But, uh, um, I know that, um, there was still those kind of crazy hodgepodge bills that I talked Ramsey into experimenting with first, but that would, wouldn't surprise me. Open for yeah, Pariah, Pariah and Mr. Rocket. Yeah. Maybe had a maybe a uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> that might have been a Wayne and uh, and Kyle and me thing. Maybe like putting that show together. Yeah. I think anyway. Maybe a Wubba diss rap in there. To oh go yeah, with it. <laughs> yeah. Kyle Wubba, man. Yeah. There is it's a clip guy. of Joe Rockhead in there, very there quick. But like, like I said, we we're, were trying to like. Uh, there are literally thousands of photos, flyers, 
ticket stubs, video clips in this film. And all of that took time to catalog and, and, and log yeah, yeah. and source, yeah. you know, but so I try to include as many independent clips of like, oh, Joe Rockhead or, or you know, Savias or whoever, you know, that that was a part of the of the scene that I had availability to, you yeah. know, and a lot a large portion of that was because of Dave Pruitt, you know. Yeah, for sure. Oh, 100 so, percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great stuff. Uh, I was trying to think about so, since so since you since you brought up Dave. You know, just to, Pruitt. I mean, yeah, Dave Pruitt. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, not just in the film because he's he's a character from the scene, that, right? Yeah. And not only as a commenter on, mm-hmm. on things that happen, but just the human encyclopedia of music footage. Oh, yeah. And what I mean, this film owes to Dave. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Jeez. Dude, that guy sent me two years ago, he found a clip of me calling in in 1991 ah. to ask if I could promote my show coming up. Oh, wow. That's great. On, it's fucking awesome. That's awesome. Like, yeah. it's just like, yeah. Uh. And he loves that stuff too. Like, there's, there, yeah, there's a passion about that stuff. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Like, how did this come about? Like, what? You Well, how did this come about for you? You mentioned the Saxon Pub. And so obviously you play there. I had actually, uh, so you know, there's a Saxon pub documentary. Yeah. yeah. Seen? So uh-huh. I actually was a part of that. I've you helped were? out. I, I worked okay. out a little bit on that one. I, I did the behind the scenes documentary on that. I, I shot a little bit of footage for that. Uh, my buddy, Jeff Sandman is the director of that. Okay. And then, so he was working on that. And while he was in production, I was like, man, I'd really love to do a documentary about the back room, but you know, that's crazy. How the hell would I even pull that off? And, um, you know, some time went by and I'd been working on some other films. Uh, my background is horror film. Yeah. I saw that. Uh, let me ask you this really quickly. Um, when you said, Oh, I want to do this about the back room. Was it because you used to go there a lot? What was your yeah, connection? Yeah, yeah, to totally. Room? Absolutely. I used to live just down the street. I lived off of Burton Drive. And so Back Room was one of the first bars I went to when I moved to Austin yeah. in 99. And a buddy of mine lives across the street. And he said, hey, there's this place down the street. They got dollar beers. You know, like, you want to I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. And, and, I, and it just blew my mind to say, like, wait, they got a music venue here? And they got yeah. an arcade here? And they, oh, there's drugs here? Oh, yeah, yeah. like, okay. And, uh, but they got cheap drinks. And I'm like, this is awesome. You know, I love it. And so I started becoming a regular there and I started meeting folks like, and in my era, which was late nineties, early two thousands, uh, up until it closed, you know, I, that's where I met, you know, the Unlocos and the, and the brutality right. and Houston Richardson and all these yeah. other people that, you know, the post, uh, the metal core, the, the punk era, that was my scene. Yeah. So when, I had said, you know what, I'm going to pull the trigger on making a documentary about this place. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I knew it was going to be really difficult. But also at the same time, it was because I had been a patron of the place and I didn't want it to be forgotten, especially because I'm more of a metal punk kind of guy, you know, and I, you know, at the time. And obviously, it still kind of heralds to this day of how downtown scene is very big on blues, rock, all that stuff. But the metal scene had kind of been not as regarded as highbrow, you know? So I wanted to kind of give the backroom a very polished 
well done film representation yeah. of like, hey, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. Yeah. And so it was very much I don't have to ask anything, any of my productions. So I wanted to make a film that was done right. It wasn't just a silly YouTube video that was shot on a handy cam or a cell phone. It was a legit production. And that's that's why I did it. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great, man. A labor of love and the connection like that. Yeah. Um, on a side note, I saw some photos. I'm following you on Facebook mm-hmm. that you're you're doing a Continental Club one. I'm I'm helping out helping on out. on a helping out on a Continental Club one. Uh, That's great, so, man. So yeah. Uh, so the guy that did Jeff Sandman, who did the Saxon Pub documentary, he actually helped me out on the backroom one. Um, the back room is, you know, now done. And now both Jeff and I are helping our buddy Brian, who is directing the Continental Club documentary. So kudos to this guy right here, Boudreaux Partida, the director of the Backroom documentary. He actually, in the time that I've known him, uh, working on this film with him, and we actually had had crossed paths because Boudreaux did TV production. He was the production director at one of the TV uh, stations here in town. Okay. And I've got an ad agency's my day job now. That's that's my business that I own. Oh, nice. So we'd cross paths a little bit. But he started a director's network uh, oh, yeah. in the last year or so. That's great. And it's really great to see so many directors come into that deal that he and uh, his buddy, I'm sorry. I'm Corey like, Trahan. Corey Trahan, yeah, yeah. Who uh, did some music for the film, too. Um, uh, I got CRS, that medical condition, can't remember shit. Oh, you know? I, thought, I thought you were going to say something serious. No, no, no. World. I'm like, yeah, it is serious. It's serious. It's serious. I don't even know what fuck, it is. But, so, but uh, it's fun watching those guys uh, do that because the the mutual support of, hey, you helped me out on my project, so I'm going to help you out on yours. I see that. And it's just, it's what makes Austin great. Yeah. That, and that's that's a generational thing. That's what mm-hmm. the, you, that's what Linklater and, and Rodriguez yeah, and yeah. like Tarantino those guys all like help you know what was happening in the 70s with film mm-hmm. and you know yeah oh yeah you gotta you gotta help each other out and you know that director's network you know the central texas director's network that we started that's just to help central texas filmmakers with resources and we say hey man uh does anybody have does anybody need help with the location or can you help me with distribution can you help me with this and the festival run music you know licensing all that stuff and so we kind of created that as just kind of like a hub for people to help each other out and now a lot of those filmmakers you know they've helped me out on on the back room Corey, my the co-founder of it you know he's helped me out he did all the original score for the documentary and then i'm helping out on his films you know so it's all you know about let's all support each other you know all that kind of well stuff. the cool thing is is every like luckily ev- like the the just like recording music and putting it out everything's mm-hmm. become democratized like there's no like you don't need to go to mgm or, or mm-hmm. 20th Century Fox to ask permission to make this movie. Right. Unless you want a bunch of good Unless music you, in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is well, true. You still do. The, the thing is, it's but like you're right though. So the, that's there are the these labors thing. of love, mm-hmm. though. You know what I mean? Like they're total passion projects. No one's going to get rich off of this, but the, the, that's what it feels like when you feel like that pulls me in when I'm mm-hmm. watching it. A hundred percent. Like that spirit of I. It is very DIY, and the thing is, I. I Working in television production with my background in television production, you know, I I learned how to shoot quickly, edit quickly, turn around quickly. And also, you know, I'm working with clients that don't have huge millions of dollars budget. So I've learned how to how to cut corners, but still make it look good. And that's kind of what we were doing with this film is how can we make it? look good a national look on a local budget is basically what we're going for right you know? and that's uh, it's kinda, 100% like yeah that. Uh, I interrupted you 
Did Ray, you? I, don't I did. No, I said, you know, uh, the thing I would add in all that is uh, um, the democratization of filmmaking is great because there are no barriers to access. Sure. Now, technologically, all you have to do is either have a basic skill set. This is one of the rare guys here that can do all of it. Right. But, or get a couple of your buddies and they can edit, they can hold the boom mic, whatever. You can do whatever you want, right? And now technology makes so many things possible. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's the story, right? right? Is the story there or is it not? And so when these guys uh, approached me about uh, joining the project, you know, obviously it's a story that's important to me, right? And I knew it was a really, really good story, right? Yeah. And I knew it was a story. So I'm very, is it paternal, provincial? I, I'm protective of the story, sure. right? So um, we got to get it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want the pariah guys to come back after and go, oh, man, you got that wrong. Ooh, <laughs> right? So yeah. So it's, for me, it's like, especially yeah. my era, it was very important to me that you got the, that the pariah stories and the Sims story right, and, the, right. and the toy story, right? Um, we did. Um, but it needed to exist. This is a part of history. This is a part of the fabric of the music history of this town. And so where maybe if I've got some get shit done mojo or the ability to to be the guy doing the pitch deck at our thing or whatever, you know, these films don't exist without some money. And true, democratization means we don't need as much money. And we don't need, you know, rich daddy warbucks to finance every film, except for the music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but it still requires a certain degree of I mean, pat- when I say patronage, I mean that literally. It requires a bit of uh, benefactorship yeah. by people that know what makes this town great. It's kind of the same argument as artists. It's hard for artists to afford to live in the city center anymore, right? Yeah. It's it To me, this is a parallel conversation to that, which is art like this, telling stories about why Austin's so awesome, right? Yeah. Don't exist without people either on the periphery or on the outside of the scene going – yeah, I can see why that's an important story to tell, and I want to help you fund that. Yeah. So speaking of that, you guys are holding a benefit, and uh, that will be taking place Saturday, January 20th at the Mohawk, and that is uh, Penny Rock Productions presents Riddling Kids with Dylan Disaster and The Revelry. Ooh. That's mm-hmm. a benefit for Bloody Nailed and Bruised. It Nailed is. It. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks, Riddling guys. Kids. Riddling Kids were a backroom success yeah. from Boudreaux's era. Yeah. Tell me about, uh, I remember that name. I don't remember. Were they like a punk pop yeah, band? Yeah, they were a pop punk band. Okay. And uh, they actually, I didn't see them. They actually made it, uh, you know, pretty big. Uh, they did the whole late night TV thing, and they actually had a record that actually did very, very well. They got the video on MTV. I mean, they actually did quite a lot. And so uh, they were actually Clint uh, Baker, who was actually our, our, our also our narrator of the film. He, uh, he was not only the vocalist for the band, but he, uh, him and, and Dustin, who were in the Riddle Kids, are, are interviewed in the film. And they were like very much also champions of the film itself. So when we were kind of were thinking of ideas of what can we do, yeah. we kind of said, hey, what if we bring back the Riddling Kids, you yeah. know, and, and give them a reason to, to get back together 20 years later. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's actually, there seems like there's a lot of excitement about it. So hopefully it works out in our favor. I love the narrator's role in the film. Me too. Um, it, there's a jumping off point that would start maybe with behind the music, all right? That's part of the cultural touch point of music journalism and admittedly very sensationalist, right? But the fact that it's it's highly stylized, yeah, yeah. I love Clint's voice, yeah. and it's it's just something that, that was a particular 
angle of approach that the director chose, and mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what, uh, you guys have this benefit, so you guys have postponed the release of the film, because obviously there's, you don't really have a date yet, right, to put it out? Or? Well, Hmm. Okay, that's a that's a simple question, and, wait, and it's here, uh, this it's might a long this might this answer, might Daddy. this might help you is that um, there's certain things that that boost uh, these films when they're in the in the s- stage that they're at now. Yeah, like productions He's finished. He's leading us along. He's leading us along. <laughs> and then sometimes a great festival like a film festival. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Set in the town that the same mark, documentary mark the is tape. set in. Mark the yeah, tape. Just to make sure you have to. Mark the tape. Just in case none of us are ever going to get into South by Southwest Film yeah, Festival we, again. We, we so learned, you didn't get in. We learned recently that South by's passed on screening our film at South by 2024. Um, I mean, it. you know, when we, when we first started putting this film together, you know, that was really, it was a, a, a big target for us to, sure, to run. <laughs> yeah, of course to run, it is. You know, to have this film premiere this hometown film premiere in the hometown festival this is a great south by southwest story yeah the absolutely yeah, absolutely i didn't even want to play it was on a, yeah and unfortunately yeah. you know and then they decided to pass and you know that oh well you know it's we're not going to dwell on it i'm not going to dwell on it our team is not going to dwell on it we're going to move forward and get this uh film out i will confess that I had already picked out what I was going to wear on the red carpet at South by Southwest, okay? And uh, I was, I was, there was some considerable butthurt in Ray's house uh, when I got the news. But here's the thing, man. And, and really, the other thing for me was, sure. you know, I've got an ad <laughs> yeah. agency. I got clients all across the U.S. and Canada. A big part of what I was ready to drop when we got the yes, again, I I was counting those chickens way before they hatched, sure. was my clients who I've helped become successful in business, it's easy for them to write, okay, here's what we're going to do. You guys come to Austin. You're going to get to walk the red carpet with us. You'll get to meet all the people in the film. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, they've all heard of South by Southwest, sure, sure. right? So that's still a part of that we get to do it, but but it's not exactly as the best laid plans that I had in my head, either personally for my ego or for the right. fundraising, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but really it lit a fire under us and we knew we had to we had to show uh the people in the film the people who worked on the film the heart we got a hardcore passionate following online of people who are ready Mm -hmm. to see the film we got the johnny gowdies of the world that are helping us get the word out and who are documenting what goes on in the music and film scenes here in town there's a lot of people that need to see the film sooner rather than later yeah Yeah. and then so we're going to take it upon ourselves to go ahead and do some private screenings of the film of the film in its current state sure you know and just kind of get it out to the people that want to see it because yeah. we have thousands of followers now and thousands of people that have been you know believe me they have come up to me every day like when's that movie coming out man i want to see it man yeah, yeah. you know and so it's at this point it's you know what south by they're in a review mirror at this point and now we're going to kind of just balls to the wall make it happen on our own grassroots uh kind of just m- bring it out on our own and whatever the cost be and so either way the film's going to get out and we're going to have the people see it and one way or another yeah. so we're finalizing the details right now on what the venue would be for our cast and crew and test screenings which sure. so we've got we've, we've got some opportunities to rent out some theaters 
as we're finalizing what's the music yeah. footprint going to be long term we're well within our rights to show it in a testing and cast and crew screening environment so we're going to take that opportunity now while we're finalizing so the way music goes down is you get a festival license that starts the day of your first festival which we were hoping was going to be march 9th right, right? um what George, who um, uh, Boudreaux mentioned, is negotiating is a 365-day festival license for us. And we will write a big check to several people to be able to use those songs for a year, hoping that we find a Netflix, hoping that we find a Hulu or somebody to acquire the film. And then we go negotiate the permanent forever music rights. And maybe we lose a track or two along the way there. That's generally the footprint. Um um, and again, last thing to say about South by Southwest, and we got plenty of other good stuff to talk about. Is oh yeah, sure. All the whole, you know, whatever degree of of the whole entertainment business is in Austin for a week in March, it would help us for sure. It would sure. for sure. It would. it would help us on several levels. But uh, we're undetracted, and we've actually taken it as a little bit of a battle cry, a little bit of a rally cry, because not unlike the way the back room was a little bit marginalized yeah. all mm-hmm. along, yeah, right? Yeah. So the film about the back room. Apparently doesn't meet the standard. We could go crazy second guessing. Well, I wonder what it what it was or this and that. We we'll never know for sure. Yeah. If there was something missing, if on the bad that screener didn't like that, you know, whatever. The back room didn't exist at a particularly woke time. All right. No. It and, didn't. But we exist at a very woke time now. I could totally see how knowing what yeah, I yeah, know yeah. about. No, I totally understand. About Let's the not climate. celebrate the fucking. Uh, yeah. 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 So whatever. We don't know that. I don't know that that's it. You know. I mean. I generally, you know, the people who I don't have a strong personal relationship with people that run South by Film right now, but, you know, uh, Janet Pearson and Matt Dentler and Jared Neese, there's a long history of, of, of them putting a good product out. So, you know, whatever. We're onward and upward, man. We're all eyes for all the armor is painted forward because we got we got shit to do. man. You'll be announcing this stuff. Uh, people can go to bloodyandbruise.com and then like follow you on the on the socials and stuff yeah. and kind of keep up with with when these screenings will happen and if you're going to be available if the people will be available to see it but you're submitting to other festivals too oh right? yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. that's that's always been yeah. a part of the yeah, plan yeah. the premiere was, was we wanted the premiere to be south by sure, of course. but uh but there's always a plan in place to take it across the country you know right. and so that and that's already begun i've already started submitting to other festivals you know so that there's definitely in fact today this morning i actually found out about another one that is in uh here in austin in in the late fall and so there's always going to be an opportunity for the austin music fans and crowd that were either a part of this film or a part of the scene or just followers of the film to to check it out at some point yeah um i do remember i remember the uh i didn't go to it but i remember the the uh the two live crew without ah, Doctor yeah. Luke in the. Mm-hmm. I, I was in, the in o- I was in Oklahoma when that happened. So, but but it's in the film. Were you working with Lynn Barstow in Oklahoma? Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So Lynn and, right? Lynn and I worked together at uh, Kanak, and then you know I had my little Kanak to one hundred one X back to Kanak, and then when one hundred one X was buying Kanak, I had to leave Austin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I ended up in Tulsa, and then Lynn came along. Uh, after that, but yeah, we did a good six years there. When yeah. the Gowdy record came yeah, yeah. out, I remember you guys came to town. I remember exactly what we did that night. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so on the radio, that radio tour was was super fun, and yeah. that particular stop, Lynn gave me a book, gave me uh, the Mansion on the Hill oh, music okay. industry book. Nice. So I 
I don't think I was impressing him with my knowledge of what was happening you know, in my career at the time. He was like, hey, kid, hey, you're going to want to read this book. So, <laughs> that's, that's a bro right there. That's a total bro, 91, 100%. Right? So Lynn was the original morning man at KNAC when we signed on Halloween 1991. Wow. And then he ascended to program director there. Then he went to Omaha before he ended up in Tulsa where mm-hmm. I had gone to be. So I was... Uh, um, uh, I got hired to go to KMYZ, The Edge in Tulsa, because of just the shit I learned from Ramsey and then, you know, doing shows like at Antone's for the homegrown stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wanted somebody who could be on the air, who liked the music, who knew the music, could be a music director, yeah, yeah. but who could do the festival stuff. Because we did some, we did like back shows and kid rock shows with yeah. 30,000 people back in the day. And so the fact that I could navigate that a little bit is how I ended up there. But Lynn is still programming 101X to this day. Yeah, I yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I love that. I like. I love that dude, man. Yeah. I love all you guys that I came up with. Yeah. That's why I have you guys. Thank you. The love Dudley right and back, Bob's, buddy. the Ray Segrins. Yeah. Andy Langer. Yeah. Andy Langer. I'm going to point this out. And if he listens <laughs> to this, he can get mad <laughs> at me all he wants. But he was very excited about the star on Jason's crotch. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like, he was very into it. Well, no, but I, I know I, 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 but re- Johnny, I, we all were excited about too, the star on Jason's too. cross also, yeah. back what, in the day. It's still, if I'm being honest, it's, it's awesome. Uh, it's awesome seeing all of these people like Tony Park, mm-hmm. like Chris Didier, like, the, uh, uh, I didn't know the guy from Cruiserweight that well, but I, I, I'm drawing Ernie. a blank on Stella the name. And Ernie. Stella, Stella and Ernie. Yeah. Yeah. I knew Stella, and I've gotten to know her since afterwards, too. Mm-hmm. So but, Andy's got great stories from that that are in the film around Pearl Jam and totally. uh, uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Those two immediately come to mind. Some other so stuff, too. So there yeah. was some bands, like, that's that's the one thing, that there were, like, these huge shows going, like Pantera. Uh, uh, Megadeth was, like, the first big yeah, metal they, show there, right? Yeah, they were the second metal band to be booked there, and that was back in 85. Nagel. Yeah. Wayne Nagel yeah. booked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Motorhead, Motorhead, which big apparently part. poor, uh, like everyone lost their hearing that night. Yeah, they had multiple shows, and lots of people went deaf after those shows. So, but we actually like what a lot of people don't know or haven't seen that you have seen is that uh, we shot reenactments with yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> a lot of people that dress, like we had actors that 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 look like. Yeah, the Lemmy guys. Members. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then so, uh, you know, there's somebody, my friend Sarah Webb, who who dressed up like Wendy, and like yeah, yeah. if everybody knows Wendy Wad, you know, back from the backroom days. And so we actually went to the trouble of making these reenactments, and because we wanted to give, I wanted to give people a sense of for the people that weren't there, oh, that's kind of what it looked like, and for people that were there, kind of give them a sense of, oh, I kind of remember that. Yeah, that is kind of cool. You could teach a film class on reenactments, dude. Oh yeah, like I hate them because they're usually terrible. Mm-hmm. Like they're terrible, usually terrible, terrible. Yeah, without without you know uh, offering up any spoilers, uh, the reason why Butero and his team did technically as good has to do with the lighting and there's yes. no there's no talking yeah there's yeah. no dialogue in the reenacts that's usually where the reenactments are like oh, oh right right oh. right <laughs> yeah 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 right the guy is that, that Eddie Vedder's here <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. uh, we had uh, if you're familiar I don't know if you know Christian Shields a Christian Shields band mm-hmm. um so Christian Shields band we actually booked the entire band today as is to play the the parts of dangerous toys as a whole right so christian shields 
you know, he kind of looks like Jason back in the day, whatever. But he was really excited about like, okay, well, what speaking lines am I going to have? What am I going to say? And I'm like, right. oh, dude, you're not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you just got the pretty red hair and that kind you kind of look like Jason. And then we'll just kind of dress you up in the pants and everything. And, yeah. and that's kind of what we wanted. You know, Jason McMaster had, had, you know, he was very kind of particular as far as, you know, and I can see why, because we're telling his story yeah. and, and the guy's story. He was very particular. Well, what exactly are you shooting with these reenactments? How are the he's working how you know and then he also saw that little 40 minute clip that you saw and so he was once he saw that he said i get it i see what you're doing here i see what's how you're telling the story and so i think those reenactments really kind of uh kind of nourish the film and kind of bring it to life totally you know um to that point about jason's reaction to um the the clip the lo- very long clip that you saw so one of the things that stuck with me through all the way back from ut film school we're both rtf guys okay. from ut right um but i was a huge fan of the show the wire uh-huh. right? and so yeah, david yeah. simon who did the wire said he's i don't really care what the world thinks about it. i just want to make sure that the cops say i got it right yeah and so our version of that for me anyway is dave Derek singer pariah seeing our our investor thing he, that he came to and goes yeah you guys are getting it yeah, oh, that, yeah. So that was big. The people who were there that we got it right. If, if, if you know, what's out of our control is right. what the response, what the world's going to think of it. Right. What is in our control is to get the fucking story right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and for, it's a big ass story. And, and, it's a lot and, of story. And for yeah. me personally, you know, to have kind of Jason's kind of stamp of approval that like man this is this is really good you you got it down right yeah. you know and that was very that was a big sh- shift in my momentum that yeah. yeah we do have a good film here you know we do have something here that i think is gonna a lot of people are going to be very proud to be a part of and yeah. to have you know a lot of at this point there's now hundreds of people that have touched this film in one way or another whether they're a cast crew actors whatever or even people just giving us tickets or, or flyers or photos, you know, right. At this point, there's now hundreds of people that have been involved with this film in one way or another. Right. And what's interesting too, is, is that people, there are people that had small parts of their life for the back room. It's like, like the back room wasn't the defining thing for Kevin Fowler or Chris Gates mm-hmm. or John Moyer from Disturbed. Right, right. But they went on to have to, to, to be John on there too. legendary yeah. for these things. And, the back room was a part of what got them there, what yeah. got them their launch, or uh, it's a chapter of their lives, you know? Yeah. Like the last night I worked at uh, back room, I, I came back for a slight reprieve after I'd already started the stuff with homegrown and all that. So the the manager that came in that fired me, got fired and somebody else, Mark Olivares took back over. He'd gone to Houston and come back or whatever. So the very last night that I uh, spun music there, Chris Gates is doing the sound, you know, just right there. And so... Not a huge part of what makes Chris Gates who he is to this town. Right, right. But he's in the film. He's yeah. got something to say mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was one of the reenactments where uh, it reminded me, it took me to this amazing memory. I'm glad I, I'm glad I remembered to bring this up. There's a, there's a, a silhouette of Pariah, mm-hmm. and Sims was the top hat guy in the band. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bob was the top hat guy in his band. I was the top hat guy in my band. Mm-hmm. We all had the same hat same damn person. Top hat. Mm-hmm. Said no, same hat person. The same hat made person? us our hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And we would talk. We talked about it. Like no one was mad at anybody oh. for wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. That yeah. 
I took it way more seriously than they did. <laughs> like I never took it you off. You know the Mr. Like Rocket Baby uh, T-shirt that sold in our fundraising yes. auction. I think has a top hat. Of on course, the, they, the it was all about that. That top hat was very important. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, even like those details that we we strive to get, yeah, you know, that's uh, a, as, yeah. as 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 close to, yeah, as accurate as we could. We know we couldn't be one hundred percent, but we try to get pretty close. There's only one reenactment thing I like more than yours. Hmm. It's the one in the Billy Corbin movie about juicing, where the little kids do the reenact. Now that I, I haven't that's seen that's the that, only one I, know, I like more I, than I yours. know what you're talking yeah. about. I haven't seen it yet. I remember when someone was telling me that I was like, I'm not going to watch that movie. They're hmm. like, I swear to God. I know it sounds insane, but mm. little kids do the reenactments, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. Nice. But but yours, it's I cannot I can't I can't tell you what a great job you've done. I can't wait to see the whole thing. I can't well, believe there's another hour and four minutes for me to watch. Oh yeah, Whew. there's actually believe it or not, you know the I'm sporting a Woody. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But so to go to mention real quick, you know, there's actually another if you want to call it a director's cut. That's two. 14 i'll do that you know so like that one's actually like we're still kind of because we're now kind of independently grassroots running it forward we're still in the midst of well maybe we can bring that version back and that was kind of like what i think is more like the director's cut final version but for actual festival purposes and whatnot it's the 144 I, can I? Can we like interview each other for a second? Is sure. That, yeah, okay? go ahead. Just I'm just curious. So, Boudreaux, just I'm curious. How long was your your first cut of the film? The initial, and uh, <laughs> the initial. Okay, so just to give everybody a little bit of backstory, I was editing all these scenes independently. You know, and like so I would edit the Pearl Jam scene yeah, and the Porterhead yeah. scene, and then finally, <laughs> what I did was I married the entire thing together. The initial cut. Can I just add one thing? On that? Yeah. So as the producers, we're getting these every week or so. We'll get Amazing, a clip or two. Right? And it's like four yeah. or five minutes. And we're like, this is great. This is great. And then it keeps going and it keeps going. And none of us are mindful of efforts <laughs> thought to add up all of the yeah. these. We're just seeing all these amazing clips. And they're like, this is fucking great. Yeah. And, and then, then when, we've- when I finally married all of the scenes together, it was a monstrous four hour cut. Okay. And I got to say, so we went over to Boudreaux's house to watch the film for the first time. We had no idea how long it was going to be. We were all banking on two and a half hours. You know? pretty, like a pretty and so we're in the driveway movie. smoking yeah. before before we're about to go into Boudreaux's studio to watch this. And he goes, guys, I got to tell you something. <laughs> 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 I got to board you. I got a warning. I got an intermission going on. Here. <laughs> Get your popcorn ready. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was four hours long. And then so after that, I was like, well, you know. You got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. so little by little, I went through each scene and started trimming the fat and trimming it, trimming it, trimming it. Sure. And, and we got it down to like two and a half hours. And from there, it went down to 214. And so 214 is really like my solid, you know, what I think is, is right on. Uh, but for, you know, in order to increase our chances in festivals, we got it down to 144. Also, budget-wise, so that we can do all the post-production, color correction, audio mastering, all that stuff. So, right. uh, that's kind of like what's out in the universe right now as the film is the 144 cut. Okay. Since we're speaking possibilities into the universe, sure. I still think, in my heart of hearts, there's a very real chance somebody at one of these streaming services, when they learn that we've got four hours of good film, is going to go... Limited series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because those are, I mean... Four episodes. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody's got the budget and wants to pay me to do that, then, well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk, we'll have the conversation, you know? Yeah. If you're so. getting nerdy about music, it's easier to get music for TV than it is for film, too. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? I didn't know that. I said, yep, like I knew. You see that? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's right. My super music supervision job that I do over in that part of the apartment. Um, uh, so people can go to this, this, this benefit, and uh, there's a cover, obviously, to raise the money for the, with the Riddling Kids. There are tickets. Yeah, there the Riddling Kids shows. Yes. Tickets are on sale now. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that this is, that our conversation is like a week. So I think there's like a week left as this okay, is yeah, dropping yeah, yeah. before yeah. the show. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have some kind of fundraiser stuff going on with maybe some auction stuff, silent auction stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll get a Super Bowl square going. But yeah, I mean, it's not free to use the Mohawk. It's it no, there, of there is not. a break even yeah, point yeah, yeah. that we got to get to before. Yeah. And and but yeah, uh, but but Clinton Dustin and those guys in Ridland Kids were great about saying, you know, just kind of engaging us and we didn't want them to play for free because they you know, they haven't played in a while and, you know, musicians need to get paid. So we we reached a kind of a split with them where their time and trouble and the hard sure. cost associated. They got members out of town that got to come in and, and travel to do this. So, But on that note, there's actually, I've, I've read that there's people coming in from out of town, fans oh, that yeah. are coming in as far as Florida. Did you know that? Yeah. There's people coming in from Florida and upstate New York to come to this show, like, because they're excited about it. So, you know, and if, and if we can make a little money for the film in the meantime, but also put on a kick-ass show for all the pop-punk fans that are in town, right. you know, then even better, you know? Yeah. When we did the KNAC reunion back in 2012, um, Seed played. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was Gabrielle and Chad from Seed. Yeah. They did a two-semi-acoustic thing. But yeah, there were people that came in from way all over just to see those two guys acoustically do yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah, it's weird. You don't you don't realize, especially, you know, you go on and you do other things, but Mr. Rocket Baby did a reunion like 10 years ago or something, and there were people at that show, like, you know, from all over the country, people from mm-hmm. Kansas, stuff like that. You're like, yeah. oh, shit, man. Right. It, it, it's crazy to like, you know, a lot of the people that were involved in the film they either had their heyday and they're like, oh, well, that was a good part of sure. my history right, right. that I'd like to recount. But there's a lot of people that are involved in the film that are still around and they're still, yeah. you know, putting on shows. And so we actively go and, and participate with them and, and be a part of that crowd and and kind of just try to share that, hey, we brought this film to life these people here that are playing the show tonight, they're a part of that story. And, and so we actually did that not too long ago where we actually went to the dangerous toy show in LA to promote the film at the whiskey, you know, and of course we were handing out stuff and and talking to people and saying, you know, this is kind of like the origin story of the dangerous toys. And people were like, there's a dangerous toys movie. What? Like, well, it's not exactly, but whatever. It's fine. No, But you did manage. I actually wrote this. Uh, You managed to fit too many documentaries in there. A pry, a mini doc. And uh, in, at least in the forty minute one, I don't know mm. if there's another one, but oh, but man. there are there is the story of those bands. I mean, not in full depth through the whole thing, but you get an idea of who they Absolutely. were and what they did. I mean, did. man, I could have made a I could have made a whole documentary about Dangerous Toys themselves. Sure. One about Pariah themselves. There's so many in depth like content. There's so much in depth content available, but, but you did a very good job of telling their story within the story. Thank you. I thought thank so. you. So a couple things on that. For starters, you haven't seen the whole of the Pariah story, obviously. You just no. you saw part of it that was in there. Right. You haven't seen all of the toy stuff. You saw a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, 
and again, I don't know if I'm overstepping here, Boudreaux, but I'm going to anyway. I'll ask for forgiveness, not permission. But um, each of those bands in the original version was over 20 minutes of, of oh, story awesome. in the original four-hour cut. Uh-huh. Uh, Pariah and Toys were each longer than 20 minutes. So obviously the the the, the final version is they're not 40 minutes of our hour 45 movie, but they were yeah. a four-hour movie. Yeah, I mean, I could have, I could make a documentary about Jason McMaster himself, you know, oh, just, yeah. just him 100%. by himself, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And, 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 and everybody that was a part of it, I, I mean, shit, it could have done something on Nathan, you know, uh, could do a documentary about Nathan. Uh, Tammy's interview, Tammy Moore, yeah, when we yeah. shot her interview, her interview was two and a half hours long, you yeah. know, just alone, just yeah, her yeah. alone. And we shot nearly 70 interviews <laughs> in the span of nine months, you know, and that was every weekend, you know. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we were shooting an interview with a different band or musician or staff member or fan or journalist. And uh, so we we definitely it took a lot. <laughs> it was a very laborious and and yeah. very heavy editing. You know, the time that it took to edit sure. this film was just countless hours. And I also edited the film as well. You know, so uh, we didn't hire an Did outside a great editor. Job with that so, too. Thank you. Mutual. And so it was it was it's it's a monster of a film that now exists in 144. So when I when I joined the film it was several months after they had interviewed me to comment on my part from the late uh-huh. 80s and early 90s, right? Um so for yeah, it's heavy, it was a lot of work, it was laborious, but I will tell you you know, um uh aside from the way they presented it to me, the opportunity which was is a funny story itself, <laughs> but um just how much fun, how much fun they were having at my office that day. Yeah. Because of the other films that I've worked on, you know, and uh, without going off about what happened between those and everything. But in uh, the way that they presented it to me since <laughs> was because I said that, you know, it's like, guys, I've done some film stuff before. If you if, if you have a question or need yeah, it, yeah. just let me know. Right. Um, uh and so they hit me and said, hey, can we have, you offered that. Can we take you to lunch? So they showed me. So in the portion you saw, you saw the beginning credits with um, to set to Dangerous Toys, Sport and Woody? Yep. Oh, yeah. So uh, they showed me that with my name inserted into it. <laughs> Genius. They didn't ask me to be the executive producer. They showed me the, they knew you were the opening jump in credits there. with my name already in it as though, hey, we're, you're being voluntold here that uh, – yeah, I thought that was, uh, you know, as a as a lifelong fan of P.T. Barnum, a little yeah, showmanship, yeah. right? Yeah. I thought there was some showmanship in how they they broached the subject. Yeah. 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 Well, man, I, I'm I love this movie. It's called Bloody and Bruised: The Untold Story of the Backroom. You can go to the uh, bloodyandbruised.com to find out more about it. Follow them on the socials. It's been four years in the making. I had five years down, but that's because I was listening to that uh, Matt and Matt and uh, and Bob show. Oh, they're talking about. Yeah, no, it's it's about four years. Yeah, yeah but still, still a long time. Still a long dude. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and good luck on that. I want to see that the Continental Club one too. And you said you're. What are you working on now? What, what am got? I working on now? You got something oh, coming up? Am I working on anything? Uh, so. You're, he's flexing his I'm, film. Yeah, I got some stuff going. So you know, so my day job's my ad agency. So right. I got. So my last radio gig was at. Um, uh, 590. So I did a talk show there right. for a few years about entrepreneurship, marketing, leadership. Uh, and I enjoyed that. But then 
in 2020, politics were too crazy. I did not want to be a talk show host yeah, on no, the Rush Limbaugh station. No. <laughs> so uh, that's when I tapped out of radio. I haven't been back on the radio since. It was So this was an opportunity. And in the beginning, I don't know about you, but like if I'm not in a band or working on a film or part of a radio station, I'm not quite right in the head, right? So yeah. I had to have some kind of creative outlet. And sure. the ad agency is a different thing. I mean, that pays the bills and I enjoy it. But So I, I, do, I am, uh, uh, I have, started to work with Brian Poyser, who was the creative director of the Austin Film Society okay. after Wrinkling Letter. Okay. And I'm, I'm helping him with his new film, which is called Leads. Awesome. But, um, but that's just barely getting started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've gotten some really great, those guys, uh, I can't remember who it was. I, I don't know why all of a sudden I disconnect, but I had a friend that was on the board there and they really, they've got me uh, Penelope Spears for the show. Mm, and nice. like, yeah. Uh, somebody else too it was really awesome. We want to talk about the Mount Rushmore of you know rock docs, metal docs. Oh, dude, yeah, come on, yeah, yeah, the cli- uh, yeah, the decline Jesus of Western Christ, civilization, man. Yeah. part two. That's that's yeah. the big one. Oh man, but yeah, I mean, as far as like you know, the backroom obviously. The backroom documentary is obviously the big thing right now that we're really pushing out. The Continental Club thing is also something I'm helping out on. Um, I've actually started production uh, on another music documentary with, uh, I don't know if you know him, Bull, Bull Aveo, who's Bull and Los Buffaloes. Uh-huh. Uh, a big, uh, another Austin musician who uh, is, has a, originally an immigrant from Spain and he's kind of trekked through la and mexico and hollywood and all that and i'm kind of documenting his story as well and then and i'm also and then obviously with penny rock productions a big thing that i do now is and i've been doing is music videos and so i love working with austin artists you know it doesn't matter a matter of your metal Metal or punk or or country or whatever i just love working with awesome musicians and so I'm, I'm a big champion of that and you know helping out all those all those guys because i want to give them a high-end looking music video without having to pay you know millions of dollars for it so right um there's a uh the short film you made that won a bunch of awards beware yeah where can one watch that that is now on youtube oh. i think it was on amazon prime for a right. couple of years but right now i think it's living on youtube um so yeah man that was a short horror film that was a werewolf film that i made years ago and but it got a lot of recognition in the film festival circuit and then so a lot of people were like oh you're the guy that made the werewolf film oh cool awesome and little by little i, I was working on other films and now it's oh you're the guy doing the documentary about the back room yeah. hell yeah and yeah like, yeah and uh, well, when is that coming out man you know so yeah. uh so right now that's that's you know obviously the big thing but beware man yeah go check it out it's, okay. it's a cool little uh short horror film that i'm proud of i'll put links to the i'll put a link to to obviously to the bloody and but also to the trailer and stuff in the text of the podcast here nice. um I, I also last night no it wasn't last night i might it might have been when you very first sent me the the screener mm-hmm. um uh, i remembered that do you remember this guy brian watkins from the 90s. Brian Watkins. Uh-oh. Played music. He was best friends with like Brian Keeling, the drummer of Mr. Rockababy. Remember Brian Keeling. He was part of all this kind of stuff. And he was shooting a documentary about Steamboat hmm. in the era when it closed and reopened. Okay. Because every year this photo comes up of me and David or me and Anar and David or something all sitting on a couch with all these lights on us being interviewed. And I'm like, oh, shit. Hmm. I wonder if that's another one that can be done. 
It definitely there's can. There's so many, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's so many great stories and there's nothing takes anything away from the other one. It's just now we have this documentation mm-hmm. of what we've talked about for so long between like that, it's a great Armadillo book that Jesse and, and Eddie Wilson wrote about the Armadillo World Headquarters. That I don't know why they wouldn't make a fucking documentary about that place. Yeah. I've been, I've, a, believe me, I get asked all the time, like, man, you should do a documentary about the, about Liberty Lunch, you know? Sure. And, yeah. and, and I'm like, or the Black Hat. We or, can't do you them know, all, but I yeah, exactly. But you know, so I'm like, yeah, I just, I wasn't in the scene there as right. I was right. the back room. I wouldn't, right. I, I can't, I don't have the street cred for that. Correct. You know? Correct. So the back room, yes. You know, Correct. that I could definitely do. Yeah. The other ones, well, you know, I may not be the greatest storyteller, but I'm sure yeah. there is somebody yeah. out there that can. Yeah, like I wasn't that mad that I wasn't in that, in that, uh, in the book, that the the Curious Mix of People book. Mm. I mean, I went to those things and I was friends with those people and I played all those places, but it wasn't yeah. like I was there all the time and part of that scene. It's got a very particular angle of approach. But I think those you are know? great. Like, yeah. I mean, they don't all have to be documentary movies, but it's so great that those stories are all being told. Yeah. And by all sure. the people that, that took part in it, you know. I'll just say this, you know, um, you talk about, like, the era of steam. And, and, you know, so you and I first met in 93 or so, I think. Mm-hmm. Right around 93. Maybe 90, late 92, something like that. Um, and so my era at the back room started in 87, right? So I don't know about you, and Boudreaux wouldn't be old enough, but how, you know, I was of the age when I remember life before having uh, uh, a VCR. So we got our first VCR when I was junior in college. Okay. In 1983. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that, and and then camcorders became more available. So we talk about like the iPhone that we carry around right. with us now. And everybody's taking videos of everything. Yeah. The Skyrocket show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at a private party. Yeah. Now all yeah. over the internet. Yeah. Um, but back thinking, then, yeah, without Dave Pruitt. Yeah. Having that damn VHS camcorder <laughs> and the commitment to, he shot lots of places. But the the back room was easily way the most of everything sure. he shot. A hundred percent. For sure. Yes. The again, I I just can't say the the, the fat, fact that he's held on to it too. By the way. Oh yeah. Like that's fucking and insane. preserved it. Right. He preserved it. And I was I was I went to his house, and he showed me <laughs> the boxes and boxes. Oh, of, I can only imagine. It's like that scene in Beautiful Mind imagine. where the curtain comes yeah, yeah, out yeah. and you yeah. see the thing. Yeah, on yeah. The yeah. And he, I mean, he was digitizing footage there before we shot his interview yeah. and then after yeah. we were done with his interview he was he went back to digitizing more and he's just kind of has been doing it yeah. ever since and yeah. but I mean literally boxes and boxes of mini DV tapes and so you know he gave me a, a ton of that footage that of course I had to give so back great. but I had to literally in real time digitize those tapes each of those tapes right so when you see footage of savias and rocket baby and whoever you know it it, it's all in real time footage that has to be logged individually yeah oh yeah labeled transferred yeah sourced and i have to put the file name and a date if available and so (laughs) all of that took time man you know and then so people you know people do their interview people were shooting their interview you know, and then saying, hey, man, so when's this coming out? Right, right. In a couple months or, you know. <laughs> like, not exactly, dude. So. 
Well, guys, congratulations. Really, uh, I love the screener. I'm sure I'm going to love the movie because it's just more of what I want to see. Thank well, you. Thanks, Johnny. Um, thanks for having us on, man. I, t- I just want to, if I can wax your car before we get out of here. Just yeah, the, baby. You want to talk about wax documentarians away. of the scene. And what episode are we up to now? 1,300? Yeah, 1,300 and almost 50, I think. So, you wow. know, to, uh, you know, I was on your podcast 10 years ago, 10 and it was ago. already a thing. It's like, well, how much yeah. longer is he going to do this? I know. That was 10 years ago when we started The Fringe. Me and Jamie yep. Hager came on in... In like April of 2014. Yeah. And you had hundreds of episodes by then. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy I know. Town, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm very glad to, to be a part of it. I mean, I like doing it. Like I like watching the movie. Like mm. the fact that, I mean, think about it. Some movie that you want to see, you can watch and then talk to the dudes that made it. Like, <laughs> that is like a, talk about sporting a Woody one more time. One more Sorry. time. One more yes. reference to the song. Um, well, thank you guys for doing the show. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thanks right. for having us Love on. You, Gang, that's Bloody and Bruised. You can find the website at bloodyandbruised.com. I will put a trailer in the text of this podcast, a link to the trailer. Get down there. Go watch it. It's so very, very good. It's such a great, great, great film. The 40-minute version that I saw is great. I'm dying to see the hour and 44-minute version. Don't forget, there's a benefit for Bloody and Bruise. Penny Rock Productions presents Riddling Kids with Dylan Disaster and The Revelry, Saturday, January 20th at the Mohawk. All right? My friend uh, Ray gave me that CD from Kanak. I'm going to post a picture of it, man. I'm also going to post it on the back, see if your band is on back there. There's a lot of dudes back there. El Flaco, David, uh, Ugly Americans are on there. That's Bob Schneider's band from the 90s, one of his bands from the 90s. Anyway... Bloody and Bruised, get out there and check it out. It's such a great trailer. It's such a great movie. I want you all to support this uh, January 20th, Saturday, January 20th at the Mohawk. Get out there. I will try and be out there myself, and we're going to throw down and have a great time, raise some money for this fantastic film. All right? And gang, don't forget when you're out there checking out bloodyandbruised.com, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts. Also, man, take the time. Leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. Leave a comment if you want to. And follow us on social media. How did I get here? Here on Facebook, and you can follow me John, at Johnny Gowdy on Twitter and Instagram. All right? You guys have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. Cause they are gonna-